Our scripture reading for this morning is Luke 12, verses 22 through 34. It reads like this. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family of God. Let's bow our head in prayer one more time and ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher this morning before we dive into the text of Scripture. scripture. Our Father in heaven, once again, we just want to pause to say that you are holy And you are good, gracious, and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, just, wise, and powerful. And we worship you. We thank you that we can approach you as our Father because of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And we ask you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit this morning. God, would you forgive us of every sin and remove every distraction or obstacle that would help us from hearing and understanding your word? Would you give me help by the power of your Spirit to speak Your truth and only your truth with a pure heart in a way that honors you and gives grace to your people. And Lord, would you all give us, give us all ears to hear, minds to understand and remember, hearts to be transformed by your word. Jesus in our text is speaking to us, Lord, of things we need to understand and we need to internalize. So we pray that today, um, as we're worshiping you, that you would be very deeply transforming us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is a famous passage of scripture. It's a beautiful passage of scripture in which Jesus talks to us about God feeding the birds and clothing the grass. Continuing from the text we read last week, Jesus is talking to us about money and how our relationship with God should change the way we relate to money. But even more than that, he's talking to us 
about the universal human experiences of fear and anxiety. And Jesus wants to teach us how a deepening relationship with God can change the way that we experience and respond to those universal experiences of of fear and anxiety. Now, we can all relate to this because, as I've just said twice, fear and anxiety are universal experiences. We all feel fear. We all feel anxious. And we get anxious about many things. Of course, we get anxious about money, which is what this text is mostly talking about. We get anxious about paying bills. We get anxious about having good food to eat, good clothes to wear. Because we live in a more prosperous society than the one that Jesus was addressing, sometimes if we're not anxious about food and clothing, we'll start being anxious about other things like our shelter or our medical expenses or our retirement plan. But we all get anxious about money. We also get anxious about other things. All of us have work to do, whether that's in an office or in a warehouse or in our own homes. We're all doing work and you can work hard all day and it feels like the to do list is never done. Amen. And then you go to bed and the to do list is still there in your brain talking to you. So you lay there and you feel stressed. We get anxious about work. If you have parents or if you are a parent, um, you know what it is to feel fear and anxiety for your children because you love your kids, don't you? And you don't want anything bad to happen to them. You want them to know God and walk with God and have a good life. We experience social anxieties. Afraid of doing the wrong thing, of saying the wrong thing, of being rejected. And a lot of times we just feel anxious and we don't know why. Now, all of us experience this, but some of us experience this to a much greater degree than others. And you know what it's like for anxiety to be one of the really dominating, difficult challenges that you face in life. Jesus has a word of grace and encouragement to you this morning. First, I just want you to notice how the theme keeps coming up in the passage. Look, look with me again. Verse 22, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you. Do not be anxious about your life. Then skipping down to verse 25, we get a rhetorical question. And which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Many of us have tried this experiment. I've done it many times. You ever tried to stay up all night stressing out about something to see if it solved the problem? And then you woke up in the morning and the problem is still there. Plus, you were tired. Right? Doesn't doesn't work. And then he follows that question up with. A follow-up rhetorical question. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Then skipping down to verse 32, we get these two simple words, fear not. Everybody say, fear not. Now, before I get into the details of this text, I feel like I need to pause because I need to tell you that for a significant chunk of my Christian life, I read this passage in a simplistic way that did not help me to understand or to deal with my anxiety. I want to talk to you about how I used to read it and how I read it now. When I was younger and dumber, I read it in a certain way and I thought about it in a certain way and I even talked about it 
sometimes in public, to people in a certain way. And now I am middle-aged and hopefully slightly less dumb, and I want to talk about it in a better way. So let me tell you how I used to think about this passage and talk about it. I would read this passage, straightforward statements from Jesus, don't be anxious. And then I would read commentaries. I'm, I'm going to quote a great New Testament scholar in his big multi-volume commentary on the book of Luke. Here's what he said about this passage. Jesus reminds his disciples that worry is not to be characteristic of the believer because it is the result of a faulty view of God. Anxiety is fruitless and ultimately reflects an absence of faith. It also reflects a self-focus that inhibits one from doing God's will. And that statement is true insofar as it goes. Those, those sentences are true. But then I would read it. I think he says, don't be anxious. That sounds like a command. Therefore, if I'm being anxious, I'm disobeying God's command. That must mean anxiety is a sin. It must mean I have a faulty view of God. And the result of this was I was already anxious about something. Let's say I'm anxious about money because that's what Jesus is mostly talking about here. I'm anxious about money. How am I going to pay How am I going to pay the bills to take care of my family this week? And I'm laying there thinking about it. And then I remember this and I think, oh, anxiety is a sin. And now I'm anxious about money and about my anxiety. Because it's like, oh, I don't want to sin. I don't want to rebel. And it, you know, it creates spirals. It creates cycles. And it didn't help. Now, there's a few problems with this way of thinking. One of them is that when we talk about fear and anxiety, often what we're talking about is an involuntary bodily response that starts triggering in your body before you have a chance to think anything. Okay, and that word involuntary is worth pondering because to do something sinful means your will is is wrong. Involuntary means your will is not involved. You ever freaked out and your will was not even consulted about it? And all of us have that experience all the time. But of course, there's a reality that some of us experience significant early childhood traumas. Or some of us deal with chemical stuff going on in our brains or hormones or whatever that maybe different seasons of life intensify this bodily reaction. And if I'm having a bodily reaction that circumvented my frontal cortex, what do you call that part of your brain that is thinking through things rationally? Um, and then on top of that, I'm telling myself I'm sinning by having that bodily reaction, feeling guilty about that. That's just not going to help me. Right. Here's another just rule of thumb for reading the Bible. The truth of Christ really does set us free. So if there's a part of the scripture that you keep reading over and over again as a follower of Jesus who wants to trust him, that you feel like is locking you up in a cage, that probably means you haven't understood it correctly yet. Okay. And there's then you need the Holy Spirit to help you hear it in a fresh way. So that's my prayer today, that the Holy Spirit will help us hear it in a fresh way. So that I just told you how I used to read this passage in a way that did not help me. Now I'm going to suggest to you an alternative way of thinking about this passage, which I find more helpful. You ready for this? Holy Spirit, help us to hear the words of Jesus. In this text, Jesus is coming Near to us as his disciples with mercy, with mercy in the midst of our fears and anxieties. That's what's happening. Jesus is coming near to us with grace, love, compassion and sympathy. A phrase like fear not little flock. That's a tender phrase. I care about you, church. 
His goal is to comfort us and help us, not to condemn us. You might want to write Romans 8, chapter 1, chapter 8, verse 1, in the margin of your Bible, right next to this passage. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The goal of Jesus is to comfort us and to help us, not to condemn us. So how should we read those statements? Do not be anxious. Fear not. Here's how I would summarize it. You might want to jot this down to ponder it. In this passage, Jesus gives us tools. He gives us tools to fight our fears and to live above our anxieties as we look forward to a future in which we are totally free from fear and anxiety. In this passage, I'm going to say it again, so you can write it down if you want to, then I'll explain what I mean, and then, since I took half my time to frame the text, we'll walk through it very quickly. In this passage, Jesus gives us tools to fight our fears and to live above our anxieties as we look forward to a future in which we are totally free from fear and anxiety. I'll start with that last part, a future in which we're... Totally free from fear and anxiety. Looking forward to God's good future is called hope. It's one of the three theological virtues. Faith, hope, and love. Everybody say hope. And here's the real encouragement for those of us. If you're really struggling with anxiety right now, you won't be forever. When Jesus returns in glory and you rise with him to live in a new creation, you won't be anxious or afraid of anything ever again. He's going to wipe every tear from your eyes and you're you're going to... Be free from anxiety, not only because your soul and body will be perfected and glorified by grace, but because there are no dangers for your body to react against, okay? Trauma, all the trauma stuff inside of us is undone, and there's nothing scary. Your kids will be safe, mama, forever. They'll be safe forever. No need for social anxieties. You will be perfect in love and in wisdom, and so will everybody else be. Doesn't that sound awesome? How much easier it would be to do church if we were already like that? Most of all, you will be enjoying the vision of God and nothing will be able to interrupt it forever. In a world free from danger, no more fear and anxiety. That's your hope. Everybody say hope. So we're looking forward to that. In the meantime, there's all sorts of dangerous stuff going on in the world. and There's all sorts of threats, real threats, but also a lot of perceived ones that... We may not even know what we're perceiving, but our body's tightening up and we're getting, feeling anxious and whatever is going on inside of us. So Jesus gives us tools to fight our fears. In other words, that doesn't mean if you feel anxious or afraid that you're being a sinner, that you're not living a victorious life. But it does mean that Jesus is going to help you so that you don't have to be a slave to that fear. And when I say living above our anxieties, it may mean... I mean, I would love to not be anxious right now. Anybody, wouldn't you love if there was just a no more anxiety, no more irrational anxiety switch? Wouldn't you flip that if you could find that switch? But given that that switch does not exist, when we talk about living above our anxieties, we mean I could still live for something profound and glorious, even if I'm feeling anxious about all kinds of stuff. What are the tools that he gives us? Well, you could summarize them like this. Faith in God and focus on God's kingdom. Faith in God and focus on God's kingdom. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. But for now, just look at verse 32. I love this verse. And my title for today's sermon comes from this verse. It says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's three truths about God 
in that verse. First of all, God is my shepherd. If we're his flock, that means he is our shepherd. And this shepherd takes care of his sheep. So everybody say shepherd. Second of all, he says, it's your father's good pleasure. God is my shepherd. We are his sheep. He takes care of his flock and he is our father. This father loves us and he takes care of his children. So everybody say father. And it says it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And there's no kingdom without a king. If we're citizens of the kingdom, that's because God is the king. And this king protects his citizens. He takes care of them. So everybody say king. Shepherd, father, king. This is a text that's about money. It's about fear and anxiety. But mostly this is a text about God and the relationship with God we can enjoy through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the big idea here. Now I'm going to have to go really fast to walk through a few of the details. All right. Verse 22 says, and Jesus said to his disciples, and I want to pause right there. I encourage you to circle that word disciples because he's talking to the crowd sometimes. But right now he's talking especially to his disciples And he's talking to people who already have a relationship with him, people who already have a relationship with God that is mediated through Jesus, people for whom he's about to die on the cross and rise again. So they're already connected to Jesus by faith. And because they're connected to Jesus, they're connected to the father in a new way. And after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's going to come dwell with them in a new way. So to really understand this. Passage, we have to think theologically. Everybody, every now and then, like maybe once a month, I have you do this hand motion. We're going to do it right now. I encourage you to take your hands and put them together like this. Say, in Christ. It's Paul's favorite phrase, or one of his favorite phrases. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. The, the, the theological concept is union with Christ. Union with Jesus. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are connected up to Jesus. Which means the Father of Jesus Christ is now your father. We're talking about adoption. Everybody say adoption. And if you are in Christ, you're adopted as a beloved son or daughter of the king of the good shepherd. Then now you're in a relationship which is strong and secure. Remembering that relationship, which basically just means preaching the gospel to yourself and calling on God as he has revealed himself in the gospel is the main way that you fight this fight we're talking about. Continuing, the text says, again, these verses we already looked at. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. The word therefore is connecting what Jesus says here to what he said last week. You remember there was a man who was storing up lots and lots and lots of money to try and make himself feel secure so that he could relax and experience peace and joy. And Jesus called that man a fool. And he was a fool for several reasons, but one of them was he thought that money could give him security when it really can't. It really can't. Only God can give us ultimate security. The man died that very night. A full barn or a full bank account can't solve that problem of our mortality. If we have so much money that we don't know what to do with it, like this man, it can't actually give us real permanent lasting security. So there's only one place we can go, and that's to God, if we want to have security. Jesus says life is more than money and stuff that money can buy. The body is more than clothing. I, I would encourage you to circle that word body. The, the body is more than clothing. 
body is more than clothing. That's an interesting statement from Jesus. God made your body. God loves your body. God has good plans for your body. Your body is good. Your body is actually eternal. I mean, this was going to die, but then he's going to resurrect you. Your body is going to live forever with Christ in a new creation. So Jesus is not saying forget about your physical needs, forget about the body to be more spiritual. That's not what he's saying. Actually, what he's saying is God will take care of both your soul and your body and money ultimately can't take care of either one of them. That's what he's saying. Verse 24, he says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value than you are you than birds? I love this passage and, and many like it. This isn't the first one like it we've seen in Luke, which teaches us God loves all of his creation. You like birds? Anybody like birds? Raise your hands. I was expecting more than like three people to like birds. in the congregation. Birds are great, but God likes the birds more than you do. He made them. He loves them. He takes care of them. But he especially takes care of you because he loves you a lot more than he loves birds. This is how Jesus talks throughout the Gospels. God loves all of his creation. God loves to take care of all of his creation. But he especially loves human beings made in the image of God. Human life is sacred. Of course, there's ethical implications for us. We should care about all of creation, plant life, animal life. We should be good ecological stewards. But most of all, we should care about people. Those two are connected. But the main point Jesus is trying to make here is look at how God takes care of the animals all the time. The birds are not losing sleep over where the next meal is going to come from. If he takes care of them, how much more will he take care of you? Then we get to our rhetorical questions. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as this, why are you anxious about the rest? As I already suggested to you, I've tried the experiment all night. Many times of staying up, being anxious, and and it didn't solve my problems. But here's one caveat. If I think of this scripture or another one like Philippians 4, and I let God's word prompt me to turn that anxiety energy into prayer energy, then good things can happen. Let me read you a verse that helps me a lot. This verse connects with what Jesus is saying in Luke 12. From Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The way I take what Paul is saying is this, in a, in a very practical way. If I'm feeling very anxious about something, just fretting doesn't help. It doesn't do anything good for me. But if I take that signal from my body as a cue to pray to God, to thank God for all the ways he's already taken care of me, and then to ask God for his help with the thing I'm stressed about, the anxiety doesn't usually go away, at least not immediately. But what happens is over time, God starts doing something good in my heart. He starts moving in the situation. He starts giving me wisdom to help me reframe the situation. And ultimately, he gives me peace Sometimes the anxiety does go away at that point, but sometimes there's a deep peace and trust even in the midst of the experience of anxiety. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glories was not arrayed like one of these. Isn't that a great verse? Just driving, you know, in Oklahoma, the things that the Bible says about glorious mountains we can't always relate to. But we've got some fields around here, right? We've got some wildflowers. And every now and then you drive past that field of wildflowers and it's just beautiful. All the purples and all the yellows and it looks way better than my wardrobe. Looks way better than Solomon's wardrobe. He was very rich. And what is Jesus saying? God even loves the grass. God takes care of everything. But how much more will he take care of you? The key word here is the word God, the third word of verse 28. And the other key word is the last word of verse 28, which is faith. Everybody say faith. Faith here does not mean being an optimist. Faith does not mean thinking everything's going to work out okay. If you are also an optimist, that's great. That's a personality thing. But if you're a pessimist, you can still have faith. Now, you've got to be a hopeful pessimist now. <laughs> you've got to have faith in God. But, but faith here means simply trusting God. It's that simple. The world is messed up. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of good. There's all sorts of stuff going on in the world. But God is gracious. God is faithful. God is loving. God is kind. God cares about his children. God already knows your problems. God understands what's going on in your heart much better than you do. Trust God. So the challenge here is not you're doing so bad. You're such a failure because you feel anxious. The challenge is really Jesus coming to us gently and saying, listen, guys, I know you're feeling all this anxiety, but let me just challenge you to trust God. Reach out in faith. And let God help you to cope with and fight your fear and to live above your anxiety, even as you set your hope on a future in which there will be no more fear and anxiety. We exercise this faith in practical ways like prayer, scripture, meditation, worship and obedience. If you don't know what to do, just do one of those. Sometimes you've got to do three or four of them before it starts working, right? You've had this experience. You prayed all week. You read your Bible all week. It wasn't working. Then you came and started singing and something broke loose in your heart, right? Or you came to a worship service and did nothing for you, but you kept obeying and eventually God brought change. You keep doing those deeds of faith. You keep exercising your faith and trust God to come through for you. Then verses 29 and 30 are really interesting. And do not seek. That's another key word. Circle that one. Think about that one. Everybody say seek. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Seeking here is about where we invest our mental and emotional energy. We have a finite amount of mental energy. We have a finite amount of emotional energy. And I have, I'll tell you about another one of my experiments. Here's one of my experiments. If I'm spending all day stressing about money and work and all those kind of things, and then I go home, I don't have very much emotional energy left for being patient with the people in my house. Anybody else try that experiment? You can only invest that mental and emotional energy so far. It's finite. And what Jesus is saying 
when he says seek here is be wise with where you invest that mental and emotional energy. He is not saying things like food and clothing are unimportant. In fact, he says the opposite. He says your father knows that you need them. If you, you need it to live, that means it's important, right? Your father knows that you need food and clothing. He knows that you need money to pay bills. He knows about your needs. So why is he saying don't seek them like all the nations of the earth seek them? Everybody seeks these things. Jesus knows. He says, yeah, everybody seeks these things. All the nations seek after them. All the nations just going through life thinking all the time about money and the stuff money can buy. Why shouldn't you think about them? So much because the father of Jesus Christ is your father in Christ. That's why everybody say in Christ, everybody say adoption. If you've trusted in Jesus, you've been baptized in the name of the father, son and Holy Spirit. You've got this union with Jesus Christ. The father of Jesus Christ is your father. The Holy Spirit inside of you is teaching you to cry out, Abba, father. He's teaching you that your God is strong and he will take care of you. Your father takes care of his kids. He does not abandon them. He does not abuse them. He does not neglect them. Your father takes care of his kids, period. That's what Jesus is saying. So because of that, you don't have to feel like you have to spend all your mental and emotional energy fretting about those kinds of things that you can't change anyway. Your father has got it so you can reinvest that mental energy in other places. Like what? Look at verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. He's saying when you know who your father is and when you know the security of the relationship that you have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ... You can refocus your mental and emotional energy. What can you give your time thinking about? The kingdom of God. Everybody say the kingdom. I know a lot of people like Matthew 6.33 and quote Matthew 6.33 a lot. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I have found that verse to be true over and over in my life. If I had hours, I could share with you story after story after story of times in which it didn't make sense how we were going to pay our bills and how we were going to do things in our family or in the life of the church. But we just kept trying to trust and obey Jesus. And as we were taking those faltering steps of discipleship, God came through. I'm not going to tell you all the stories right now, but if God has come through for you, can you say amen? So many of us can testify that it's true. But what I want you to focus on right now is not just the promise here that God's going to take care of your material needs. He's saying because God's going to take care of your material needs, refocus your life on the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. What does that mean? Have you ever stopped to practically think, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom? I'm going to give you three things I think it means for you to ponder. I encourage you to jot these down. I'm not going to elaborate on them too much right now because I'm almost out of time. But I encourage you to pray over these things this week as you think about what does it mean to seek the kingdom. The first and most important thing it means is seek Jesus. The person of Jesus. One of the things we've learned throughout the Gospel of Luke The kingdom of God is the reign of God. It's his rule of righteousness and peace and joy. But it's centered on the person of Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, there is the kingdom of God. 
to say seek the kingdom is really for Jesus to say um, focus on knowing me. Focus on knowing Christ, which is better by far than anything else you could worry about. If you'll focus on knowing me, I will satisfy you. And my father will take care of all your needs. What does it mean to seek the kingdom? Seek Jesus. Second thing it means is seek to fulfill the purposes of Jesus in God's world. If you want to give your mental and emotional energy to something better than stressing about paying bills. Just think about the fact that there's all sorts of people around you who desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's all sorts of baby believers around you who need a mentor to invest time in them, to pray with them, to disciple them, to help them read the scriptures. Think about the fact that in our neighborhood, in our community, there's all sorts of widows and fatherless and sojourners and the poor, those who are disabled, those who are hurting in a variety of different ways. And God loves all of them and he's sending us to be his instruments of mercy and compassion in their lives. Seek the kingdom means seek Jesus and it means seek to fulfill the purposes of Jesus in God's world. The, the third thing I think it means, I'm going to put it in a strange way. Live today in a way that will make you happy in 10,000 years. Because part of what it means when we talk about seeking the kingdom is I'm living by hope in the promise of Jesus Christ that everyone who follows him will inherit the kingdom of God, which means we will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and live with him in his new creation. So live today in a way I'll be happy about if I look back on it from 10,000 years from now. Now, in case you haven't done the math on that, one thing that's going to happen for sure in the next 10,000 years, we're all going to die, right? Unless Jesus comes back first, which means live for the realities that are eternal that will last beyond death. Reinvest your mental and emotional energy. And then we get back to the heart of the passage. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Your father delights to give you Christ, to give you a purpose for your life. He delights to pour out his Holy Spirit to work through you. He delights to give you the inheritance of the saints and the new creation. Your father is your shepherd. He's your king. You can know all of this because of what Jesus has done for you. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ when he died for our sins is what teaches us to know God as father, shepherd and king. Which means if you're here and you know that you've been living in sin, the good news is that God's loving care is not for people that already have their stuff together. God's loving care is for sinners who trust in Jesus Christ. If you trust in Jesus, then his father is your father. You're a citizen of the kingdom and he's your shepherd. Now, to wrap up, let's look at these last few verses. Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This, this last little passage calls us to some really radical steps of obedience. I introduced verse 33 last week. This is very countercultural in probably every human culture, certainly in America, in which we're always thinking, how can I move up the ladder of spending more money on myself? How can I accumulate more money? 
to make me feel secure and important. There's just a lot of lies there that need to be countered by the gospel. And it's a challenging text, but we need to read it in the light of everything that we've just heard. Here's how I would summarize it. If you have trusted in Jesus, you have a relationship with God that frees you for radical contentment, simplicity and generosity. Because you know you are secure and your future is secure. Which means now you're invited into this adventure of living for something huge. Doesn't necessarily mean the experience of anxiety goes away, but you can live above your anxieties. The adventure you're invited into is this. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. The church fathers love to preach on this passage. St. Augustine would say, hey, instead of leaving your money with the banks, because the bankers, you know, the bank can go under too. If you really want to invest your money in a secure way where you'll know you'll get a return, invest your money in the bellies of the hungry people in your neighborhood. Invest your money in caring for the poor. Invest your money in getting the gospel out to the lost. Because Jesus is saying, if, if when you give to any hurting people around you, you're giving to Christ, and God your Father will give you an eternal reward that nothing can take away from you. That's what he's saying. Mutual funds can fail. By the way, my... my Mentors that talked to me about financial stewardship told me to <clears throat> open up that Roth IRA quite a few years before I did it. And then I opened that thing up and the stock market crashed. I was like, this return does not look good. My savings account's doing better over here. Right? My, my point here is the markets, no, nothing, nothing in this life is secure. Nothing is a guarantee. What is secure? What is a guarantee? God. The promises of God. We're being invited into the adventure, adventure of radical simplicity, radical generosity, where we can always be saying, God, I love you and I want, I want to share your love with the people around me. Show me how I can live on less in order to give more, to care for the poor and to advance your kingdom. And I love verse 34. Notice it doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. It says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's what I think that means. I think it means if you will choose to do the actions of faith, of simplicity, thanksgiving, and generosity, God will use those actions to change your heart. So if you're here today saying, I just don't really trust God yet, and there's people I want to help, I would love to give more to support the ministry, support the church, support... Something that's serving in the community. But my heart just isn't there yet. I'm afraid. I think what Jesus is saying, well, just go ahead and act like your heart is already there. And then trust the Holy Spirit to change your heart. Shape your heart. Take responsibility for forming your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Your, your heart's going to follow. I want to end today... By inviting us to think again about God as shepherd, father, and king. Everybody say shepherd. Everybody say father. Everybody say king. We're all here in different places. We have different amounts of money in our bank accounts. We have different levels of struggle with fear and anxiety. 
But what Jesus is saying to everyone is God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. If you'll trust in Christ, God will sustain you. He will take care of you. He'll take care of your family. His steadfast love will not fail you. And he'll give you the tools that you need to fight against your fear and to live above your anxieties, even as you set your hope on the day in which you don't experience them anymore. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to pray for a second. And I'll just invite you to first pray. Thinking about Christ, thinking about God as your father, as your shepherd, as your king. And we're going to respond to the word by singing a song of worship in a moment. But first, let's just take a second to be honest with God about whatever the fears and anxieties are that we're struggling with. You can be honest with God and maybe even just ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there's some fears and anxieties in your heart that you're they're going on in your life, but you haven't really thought about them. Not so that you can feel ashamed or condemned, but so that you can bring them to God. And I want to encourage you to latch on to one of those images, father, shepherd or king, whichever one's comforting you this morning and just come to God and say, God, you're my king. Would you take care of this thing? You're my father. Would you take care of it? You're my shepherd. Trust him with whatever that thing is. As you're bringing those fears and anxieties to God, and we get ready to worship, I'm going to encourage you just to pray a bold prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in you, to make you a person of faith who trusts God so profoundly that you'll be willing to live a life of joyful generosity Beyond what makes sense on paper. To really store up your treasures in heaven. Like Jesus is talking about. By caring for the poor. Giving your resources to advance the kingdom of God. Father, you are a good father. Thank you for always taking care of your children, being so gentle and generous and kind to us. Lord, you are our shepherd. Jesus, you are the good shepherd who lays down your life for your sheep. God, you are the king. We thank you that you take care of the citizens of your kingdom and you have promised that we will inherit the kingdom. We'll inherit the new creation with you. And Lord, we just lift all of our needs to you. I know there's many in this room for which this issue of fear and anxiety is a very pressing one on a daily basis. I pray that this morning you would help us to hear your words of grace, that your Holy Spirit would give us strength and comfort as we look forward to our future hope to trust in you and to seek your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.